0: Boy bands and obsessing over male celebrities has always been thought of as something that is supposed to distract young women from real issues in the world, but it really just gave us a place to mobilize and talk about the things that were affecting us.
1: You're listening to episode number 99 of the Self-Care Sunday podcast, a minimalist media project by Kaylee Reed. New episodes are released only on Self-Care Sundays, and we talk about everything from mental health to entrepreneurship social media, and of course, self-care. Today's episode is an interview with Natalie Held about fandoms and activism. Natalie is both a friend and a colleague, and we actually met through fandom many years ago. And since then, we've worked together in multiple capacities. She's been an ambassador for brands that I've worked on. She actually modeled in a New York Fashion Week show that I put on. And now she works for me uh, with Self Care Sunday and Armana, uh, running social media and helping with content creation for clients. Something that Natalie and I have always bonded over is our love for One Direction as well as our love for politics and seeing these two worlds actually collide more often than you might think. And so in today's episode, we talk about the term fangirl, how it's seen as unprofessional and frivolous, when really fandoms can be the starting ground to cultivate these really powerful activist communities and create change makers from young teenagers into now older adults who are working in politics or the music industry. We talk about how fandoms are seen and dismissed. Uh, From larger society as something that is unprofessional when in reality these are actually the communities that have helped us grow our creative careers and why we need to look at fangirls through a different light. If you've ever been a part of a fandom or wondered how fandoms can be related to activism, this episode is for you. We talk about the influences of people like Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, and of course One Direction in shaping our identities and helping us become who we are today, as well as why we should stop looking down upon quote-unquote fangirls and fandoms, and start embracing them as opportunities and communities to help grow young women into the leaders that they will be in the future. Now, before we get into today's episode, I just want to plug the Patreon if you love the podcast, if you're an avid listener, and you want to see more episodes happen, whether that's video episodes, you want input on topics, questions answered on the show, and some exclusive perks, you can support on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. I call it my coffee fund. It's as if you're taking me for coffee, meeting up at Starbucks, you know, 5 bucks a month. Super appreciative of everybody who is a supporter or listener, and if you don't want to spend the funds, something as simple as subscribing on Apple and leaving a five-star rating and review is super helpful in allowing the podcast to be discovered by new listeners and ultimately help me grow the show. All right, let's get into today's episode.
0: Can we also wait? Oh my God. Today's the five-year anniversary of One Direction's last show and the anniversary of when they lost on X Factor.
1: Stop. I will cry. <laughs> Today we're celebrating One Year of Fine Line, the release of Evermore, which was a random surprise. Where do we begin? (laughs) I feel like today's episode is going to be everything from fandoms to activism and how these two things actually really intertwine and how Natalie and I have found even like career moves and things through something as silly and superficial as fandoms. So breaking that down, um, I want to start with how we both got into the One Direction fandom. Is that a good place to start?
0: Let's do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I did an episode on this uh, kind of a few weeks back. I'll have to look which episode number it is. But I remember, I mean, I was in high school when One Direction was coming up. And then I think maybe like my first year university was when they started like blowing up. I'm a bit older than you, Natalie. Yeah. Um, But I used to write fanfic on Tumblr and I ran like a 1D fanfic Tumblr blog basically shipping followers with different One Direction members and creating these date scenarios and that was like my intro into the fandom world was through Tumblr and meeting people that way and I feel like fandoms have evolved so much since then but I'm really curious like your experience getting into this world as someone who's a few years younger than me.
0: Yeah, so for me, it was like, I think I heard What Makes You Beautiful and like it was over. Like I was never really into like other boy bands like the Jonas Brothers were really big at the time or like Justin Bieber. Like I was in middle school. So like you would think like a young middle school girl would be obsessed with all of these things. Like I really wasn't. I was so removed from that. But I feel like there was just like something so like unique and compelling to me about One Direction. And I feel like I was just at a time in my life where like I wanted to branch away from like the music my parents was listening to. And like I really started to like develop my own music identity and so like you were on tumblr but i was on twitter so i was like 12 at the time and like i was a good girl so like i didn't make a twitter account like under the age of 13 so i remember like on my ipod touch i would have like my safari app open with like multiple browsers like with the members of one direction's twitter accounts like just to like see what they were tweeting and like i wasn't even on twitter yet so when i finally got to make one like that felt like so significant to me and like i was this was around like the up all night era and like It was just, like, such a, like, unique opportunity for me to have this entry into, like, what is now, like, my career.
1: Do you think it's because they were British?
0: Like, what was the thing? Like, I I didn't (laughs) want to say it, but I was like, the accents. Like, how do you not fall
1: in love? That was it, 100%. I want to talk about music and how it shapes our identity as young people and kind of, like, as we grow older, too. And something that I found, we were talking about this before we started recording, Evermore, even Folklore, I don't resonate with this era of Taylor Swift as much anymore because I feel like it draws me back to my teenage self who was super depressed and angsty and would listen to more like indie folk type music during that era of my life. And so now listening to her coming out with these new songs and albums, I feel like almost removed from it versus her OG albums. Um, that to me is nostalgic in a good way. And I think it's so interesting how like music shapes who we are and like we relate certain albums to times in our lives. So between like Taylor Swift, One Direction, I know there's like so many others, but how has music shaped your upbringing and like your identity as you've grown into who you are now?
0: Yeah. Wow. That's such a great question. I feel like I really grew up on music Um, my parents would always talk about what their favorites were. And so I would always listen to like U2's Joshua Tree, James Blunt's Back to Bedlam, like on my little stereo. And like, I would listen to that all the time. And I've always been such a reader and a writer. My mom grew up, like I grew up with her working in publishing and I'd always have new books from her. And so that kind of lyricism and like storytelling through albums has always been really important to me. And even just like recently in an article, I know Harry was talking about this. I think his friend was telling him or like it was a friend of a friend saying how they were in a car ride with their like son or daughter or something. And they put on a Bruno Mars record and they played it straight through. And at the end, their kid was like, why did you just have Bruno Mars like on repeat? And they were like, this, this is an album. And I was like thinking to myself, like, wow, younger generations are so used to like this idea of like one-offs and singles. Like they don't necessarily listen to albums. And like I exclusively grew up on that. And I think that progression and storytelling like is what really shaped me into like being what I am now. And like, so I guess I'm like an album purist. Like I like to listen straight through too with that storytelling. And so I feel like just adding social media into that mix with like an online community only like enhanced all these things for me. And so like, Going back to what you were saying before about like right now, like not really resonating so much with folklore and evermore, like this like sad indie girl music, I feel like the complete opposite. Like, as far as like self care has gone, this quarantine, like music has really been my sanity. And I think I've kind of been regressing back into like my 13, 14 year old self. Like, I just turned 21 in October. So, like, I feel like this has kind of been a sense of like comfort and familiarity for me to like go back and listen to like, I was even listening to Red, which is like a super middle school album for me. I've been listening to Up All Night and Four. Like I've really just been, even Ed Sheeran, like I've really been going back and just thinking about these times in my life that felt so important to me and like building to where I am now.
1: Something I realized as I was growing older is that the older we are, it almost feels like our intensity for music and celebrities and our favorite musicians kind of fades a little bit. Like when you're a teenager or a preteen, 12 year old Natalie on Twitter, um, I feel like you become so emotionally invested and attached to the music that you're listening to, to the artist, to the lyrics. And then Maybe this is just me, but like as I got older and had less free time, essentially, to search up new music, to find new artists, to follow them, to be really invested in the fandom, um, I feel like my love for music got disconnected a little bit. And it's weird to me. And I think maybe that's in a way why I still feel so attached to like early days of Taylor Swift, of One Direction, Fall Out Boy, those types of, of music. Um, is because that was a time in my life that I had the free time to be like investing all of my time into music and into the fandoms. And now I think like when you grow up a little bit, like the magic starts to fade a little bit and it makes me sad. But at the same time, I think that there's room for adults in fandom. And I think you and I have talked about this, Natalie, of this perception and like misconception Of fandoms just being the 13 year old girl on Twitter who is a little bit stalkerish and like kind of psychotic about their favorite artists um, and why this stereotype is actually un healthy.
0: One of my friends recently, she actually tweeted about this. Someone posted this idea of like, if you're working with talent, stop being such a fanboy fangirl, like do your job, stop trying to be in the limelight, like stop kind of clout chasing kind of thing. And I remember we were talking about this and she was like, I don't understand like why there's such a negative connotation with fangirls and fanboys. So she kind of like responded to this tweet and was like, I agree with the sentiment that people working with talent shouldn't just see clout, but I wish we'd stop using words like fangirl and fanboy with these negative connotations because this industry is built on super fans and their insight, passion, investment in artists is super valuable and should be taken seriously. And I feel like that just perfectly encapsulates exactly how I feel and how I think so many other people feel too. Like fangirls run this industry. Nothing would exist without them. And I think discrediting or branding them as obsessive and crazy when in reality they're dedicated and passionate, it's insane to me. And we see football and sports fans burning cities down after games, but we don't brand them as obsessive or crazy. So it's a total double standard on my end. And it's a way for people to just write off these young girls for being write off these young girls when they're really just being creative, brilliant, and passionate for what they love doing. And again, we're gonna just keep going back to Harry here. Like one of two of my favorite quotes from him are from two different Rolling Stone interviews that he did. One was from 2016, so like think post one direction, start of his solo career, and then one just last year with his Rolling Stone cover. And he said how can you say young girls don't get it? They're our future. Our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents—they kind of keep the world going. And then three years later, he says we're so past that dumb, outdated narrative of oh, these people are girls; they don't know what they're talking about. They're the ones who know what they're talking about. They're the people who listen obsessively. They fucking own this shit. They're running it. And like, just to hear him say that—I mean, to read him say that—like, is so empowering, and it just shows you how much he gets it too. And even with K-pop recently, like we saw with the whole K-pop and TikTok scandal with the scandal, like event with the <laughs> Trump rally, like you had the New York Times and all these major outlets talking about this power of fandom and how these K-pop stands bought free tickets to a Trump rally and made it seem like a ton of people were going and then nobody showed up. So I remember there was one... Um, writer who tweeted was like, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post on the K-pop fandom and how so many people have underestimated their power until now. So I feel like there's really been this cultural shift in seeing this intersection of politics and fandom and activism and also starting to really credit these people with saying, hey, like they really know what they're doing. We should stop saying these horrible things about them.
1: A hundred percent. And this connection to fandoms being seen as obsessive and frivolous, because they are majority, uh, young women, they're automatically discredited because young women are, you know, running essentially these fandoms and running the, the creative works behind it, whether it's fan fiction, whether it's like fan merch, whether it's, um, covers like all of these things, but because it's tied to young women, it's, it's really like actually a sexist and, in my opinion, unfeminist view to see fandoms as frivolous and unimportant and silly and obsessive because you're exactly right. And I love those quotes from Harry. Like, these young women, we we want to empower them in every other instance, whether they're you know chasing their dreams to become a lawyer or a business owner. But if it comes to them loving a musician or an artist, it's somehow seen as, like, negatively, like, this exactly. fangirl, you know, persona and stereotype.
0: That's a great way to put it.
1: it well, it, it is. It, it's it's kind of crazy to me. And so during quarantine, I feel like I um, kind of revisited my identity as a fangirl, I would say, over this past year. Like, I was very invested in a lot of these communities and uh, artists as a teenager when I was younger when I was in university kind of as I mentioned it almost like faded as my time got sucked into being a business owner and going to university and all these other things and now this year has been like a cultural reset in so many ways and one of the things that I re-found was fandom, whether that was through Gilmore Girls or One Direction, and having this nostalgia of coming back to a community that you know is like as excited and as passionate about certain things as you are and that you can like build these relationships with and content out of. Um and beyond that, like actual job opportunities in some circumstances. But it was interesting because as an adult, so I'm 27, yeesh, I'm 27 this year, like as an adult kind of quote unquote rejoining fandoms and coming back into that world of creating content around favorite artists and shows. Um, I did feel at first like, Oh my gosh, Kaylee, you're a grown woman. Like, why are you like, what are you doing? Spending your nights like, you know, reading fanfic or um, writing fanfic for that matter. And then kind of like removing that own misogynistic filter From my own thoughts, being like, no, but why is it bad that you're creating viral videos about a show that you and other people love? Why is it bad that you're exercising your creativity to write, in essence, a novel about a show that you love? Like, why are these seen as bad things when if you remove them and detach them from a show or a fandom? They are encouraged and seen as inspiring. If you got, you know, a viral video about anything in your life, about your own business or whatever, people would be like, oh, my God, that's amazing. If it's a viral video about Harry Styles, you're like, oh, my God, she's a fangirl. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why, why is there that connotation? And how do we remove that? essentially. And I think having these conversations is a great start. And like, you know, opening up and saying it's okay to be 27 and still be in love with Harry Styles in what direction like what is wrong with that? Like, why is that a
0: wrong thing? Louder, please louder.
1: (laughs) Touched on this briefly, which is, um, you know, not just exercising your creativity in a fandom and building connections and relationships and just like, having fun, which side note, I think is so devalued in our society now where we are driven on the hustle, driven on capitalism, making money. It's like, if what you're doing does not make you money, what are you doing? People as adults don't have room for hobbies anymore, which I think is complete. I don't usually swear on this podcast, but it's like, (laughs) that's how I feel about it. Because ultimately, like it comes down to self-care, self-care Sunday. We need to have things that, interest us that make us happy that we're passionate about that are our hobbies that don't necessarily need to be tied to money or ROI and so that in itself is like another void that fandoms fill and that I think they do a really great job of but beside the point I did touch on how not only fandoms are are great for all of these things, but additionally career moves. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I want to talk about because I think we've both seen the result of our creativity and fandoms um, coming to fruition or manifesting in a way that has actually helped our careers and brought us positions and roles that we wouldn't have otherwise had unless for these fandoms. So. I'll pose the question to you first if you want to share any, you know, stories or experiences where something like that has happened to you.
0: I, I have so many. <laughs> like, where do I start? I think like for me in terms of like building career moves, like it, I really learned all of my online literacy through One Direction and The Cab, which is another really big band that I love. And I actually ended up befriending The Cab through Twitter So the band members are now like older brothers to me. I know. Like ever since I was 13, like they've become older brothers to me. And like, that's really where my networking and community building really started along with like the One Direction fandom. And I even like accidentally sent them Skittles like to their manager. And so I guess I can kind of... Wait, how do you
1: accidentally send someone Skittles?
0: Yeah. So I asked the drummer, I was like tweeting him and I was like, hey Dave, like what's your favorite candy? Like, I don't even, like I was 13. like, I don't know. I wanted to know. And... He made some comment and we mentioned Skittles and I guess the Skittles PR person was really good at their job, saw the tweet, saw that Dave was a part of the cab found their manager's email or and like whatever and they sent like to their PO box or something like an actual like PR box of skittles like there was a bag with like the skittles branding and inside were a ton of different packages of skittles so 13 i 13 year old
1: thinking, natalie was I a know. pr talent agent exactly oh, you didn't so even I, re- know
0: I remember it. dave sent me a screenshot of the email from their manager and he's like hey which one of you tweeted about skittles because um and there was just the photo of like the massive box and i was like I did that <laughs> so I think that's like a really good like segue into like how this kind of came to be but I think my understanding of like the cabs brand and like one directions ba- brand and just like being a part of like these different fandoms and kind of understanding like the dynamic and formulas of like what that looks like translates to like what I do now in politics and in social media management and development and everything so like whatever niche I'm working in like I understand how to like content create for so many different individuals and companies just because of my understanding and like the online literacy that I learned from one direction in the cab like i like the applied knowledge that i learned like from them is is really everything and so many of my friends now that work in music are because of what they did, like running an update account, running a fan account. And I saw a tweet recently from like a political organizer. And she was saying how like, she literally like, how does like, just like a joke tweet where she's like, how do I tell people that I literally learned everything I know about social media because I had a Taylor Swift stan account on Twitter in 2011. And like, I couldn't relate more. Like if I didn't have that opportunity to like really understand like the climate of things, like I wouldn't be able to do anything I do now, whether it's for what I do in my job in politics, for what I do for Serna Kerrigan, for Let's F***ing Date, like for what I do with Self-Care Sunday and Hermana, like I wouldn't be able to do any of it. And didn't
1: we get connected technically
0: because of fandom? Yeah. Like what was that story? Yeah, we had a mutual friend who was involved with like One Direction and The Cab. I knew her and I remember I like posted a selfie and she was like, hey, like my friend Kaylee is like casting models for your old startup. And I was like, she's like, you should apply. I was like, okay. So like I submitted everything and I got accepted and here we are. Yeah. It's so
1: wild. Wow. Like the fact that we met because of a mutual connection because of fandom and now we're working together on so many things, which actually our next project, which ho- hopefully I'll be able to announce shortly is content creation related and really like my expertise in content creation, similar to you, Natalie, is from things like TikTok and creating like Killmore Girls, you
0: know, fan
1: videos, things that, you know, gave me the opportunity to go viral and understand the algorithms of platforms and understand what makes people really interested in content and how to tell a story and that sort of thing. So it's pretty, it's like kind of crazy to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) that these opportunities can come. And I feel like people are so dismissive of fandoms and look at content like that. And I do it sometimes too. Like I do it to myself where I'm like, Kaylee, what are you doing? Why are you creating this Jess Mariano fan video? (laughs) And then it blows up and I'm like, Oh, right. That's why. Because I mean, beyond the actual, I just love him. (laughs) Beyond that aspect, it's, it's the experience it's the content creation it's the creativity all of these pieces that have led me to opening the agency to building these connections to working with teams like some good news and john krasinski and none of that would have been possible without originally writing fanfic on tumblr learning the ins and outs of blogging, learning how to make a video go viral on TikTok, like all of these things that are actually really coveted skills and Mm -hmm. highly sought after now in various industries. So I love it. I love it so much. And
0: then Um, back to March too, like... Mm -hmm. like, you were the one that really got me into TikTok. And so during quarantine, like, at the very beginning, I was like, I really need to, like, lean into, like, understanding TikTok more. And then I had a super viral video about Harry. And, like, this was one of my first videos. Like, I never intended to, like, become, like, a Harry Stan account on TikTok. But that video now has over 10 million views and over, like, 2 million likes. So like, I really just leaned into it. And so now I have 30,000 followers just because of my Harry content. So I really leaned into it. I understood what would blow up. I understood what people were looking for. And that like was like a really great passion project for me because it's like, yeah, obviously I love Harry Styles, love what he stands for, love his music. But again, it goes back to the community aspect of like, I know what these girlies are looking for. I know what I'm looking for. And I'm creating the content that I love to make, but other people love to see. And like, it's just like a really great feeling. And it's a really great applicable skill and if all goes well with future projects, like that's that's something that's directly helping. <laughs> so
1: a hundred percent. And also like a lot of people ask me how to get into this industry. And one of my biggest pieces of advice is to you know, build your own social media or build your own platforms as your portfolio because Mm -hmm. a lot of employers or agencies or influencers are not looking at people's resumes anymore. They're looking at what you can do on social media. And if you don't have your own business or you don't have a project or you yourself don't want to be an influencer, creating content around something you love, whether that's The Office, whether that's One Direction, Taylor Swift, whatever it is, can be a great way to build a quote unquote portfolio around creative content and strategy that doesn't have to do with you starting a business. Like you don't need to start a business in order to have a portfolio to show for yourself, like create content about the things that you love and that in itself can act as its portfolio.
0: Exactly. That's really great advice.
1: I want to talk about fandoms and activism and how the two collide. Because you mentioned already the K-pop, uh, what do we call that scenario that happened?
0: I don't even know. <laughs> I feel
1: like K- K-pop stands are just both the most famous and n- notorious for mm-hmm. being very powerful change makers and agents of change, really. And I think people are starting to see and understand that more with the Trump rallies, with other things that have happened in 2020, again, people are dismissive of these communities and don't really see them for what they are. And so I'd love your thoughts on how fandoms can actually like enact really powerful change, whether that's in politics or otherwise.
0: Yeah. So I think something really interesting is like what you've touched upon in this episode already, kind of talking about how you felt almost kind of removed from things because you haven't like had the time to do it. And it's like, you know, like having that free time to like kind of reinvest in fandom stuff. And for me, like... I really fell back down the rabbit hole with "Adore You." So when the, when Harry had his whole rollout with "Aroda," which if you're not familiar, his marketing and like digital team created a whole fake island to promo his song "Adore You," and "Aroda" is "Adore" backwards. It was like a huge like Easter egg thing. People had so much fun trying to figure out what it was, and like that for me really got me reinvested into like the whole thing again and kind of falling down the fandom rabbit hole and. What I've kind of uncovered and learned so much this year is just how much these intersect. And I've always known music is political; it's inherently political. But I think, like, just being a part of like this Harry Stan culture again, and kind of seeing what these young women have done has been really incredible. And even just like going back to the One Direction fandom, for example, like they really provided a platform and encouraged us to step into our power. I saw a TikTok a couple months ago where this girl was like. The fact you can draw a straight line from kind of liking One Direction to becoming a raging feminist for most young women today is absolutely mind-boggling. What's even crazier is boy bands and obsessing over male celebrities has always been thought of as something that is supposed to distract young women from real issues in the world, but it really just gave us a place to mobilize and talk about the things that were affecting us. And the best part was One Direction was totally on board. They were into it and loved us for it. And that right there, like that's a mic drop these worlds are so closely aligned and i wouldn't be the outspoken passionate person i am if i wasn't a part of the one direction fandom like that was really my entry into community and mobilization and so going today into what harry stan's are doing we've seen them do so much for activism and i think tapping into like already existing and mobilized networks to create this real actionable change is so important like we see them doing fundraisers for harry's birthday to like donate to a place or when there's like a really serious issue that's being talked about over my Twitter timeline, I see these young women talking about these issues and educating each other on it. And like that's a really, really powerful thing. This this just feels like a natural progression. Like you, if you're in a fandom, like you become a political person. Like I don't I don't know how else to explain it, but what comes to mind for me is two of my friends kind of from like the cab fandom, also very big into the One Direction fandom too they kind of went in like the two avenues that I see them going in. So one now works in music with boy bands and like some really cool artists. She was just named a noisemaker for like Hits Daily Double. Um, And she kind of got her start like with the cab in one direction and she went in that direction and she's doing incredible things. And the other one, Um, she did some other things but now she works in politics and like she worked on like Warren's campaign doing some field organizing and now she's done a a bunch of different political work so for me like those seem like the natural progression of like where you can go from that moment and for me I feel like the intersection of both because I feel like you can do both things so like finding so many people in both spheres that i'm in now like i said before with like either are in fandoms and work in politics or like in politics and love fandom culture like there's just such a connect and i think it's like such a powerful and brilliant thing and i would love to like continue to build my career to kind of bridge that gap to show young girls and young women and fandoms that you know, what you're talking about is really important and you can use the applied knowledge that you have from being in a fandom to work in politics and make actual change and like work with the artists you love to do that. Like we see Ariana Grande with Headcount and we see like all these, like even Taylor, like she's been so criticized for not speaking out on politics in 2018 for the U.S. midterm elections. She became very outspoken. She got a huge number of people to register to vote in Tennessee like, it's a really, it's a really incredible thing. And like, again, back to Harry, like, even this year, he's been such an emerging activist. Like, we we see him, like, before then, he was donating proceeds from every show on tour to local organizations in that city. Um, he would have, he would wave LGBTQ flags on stage. He'd have Black, Black Lives Matter and, um, and gun violence stickers on his guitar. This year, he joined the Black Lives Matter marches, and he would donate He did COVID relief. He's been breaking gender norms on the cover of Vogue. Like he's just a dream. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to say it, but it's it's like such a powerful tool to see how like artists and fans can both mobilize to like come together and like create real meaningful change and to kind of build that intersection between the two.
1: Artists and musicians really are the original influencers. Yeah. And with People like Taylor and Harry using their influence for good, there is the extension of that, which is the fandoms. And exactly. the fans then, you know, cultivating the actions that these influencers are taking and amplifying those right. actions through tweets, donations, campaigns, fundraising, like whatever it is these fandoms are really the extension of the values of those influencers and the positive change that they're making. So it is, you know, it is community mobilization in the most grassroots and empowering way. And when you were talking about how, you know, from fandom to music industry or politics, that to me is actually so empowering and inspiring. Like I wish when I was 13 years old, someone would have told me, it's so cool that you are this passionate in a fandom because what you're learning in this fandom and the things that you're creating and the community that you're a part of can lead you to a career in politics or can exactly. lead you to career in the music industry. And I feel like nobody's saying that, but it's so true and makes me feel inspired for the younger generation and even like our, our current selves <laughs> being yeah. a part of these fandoms um knowing you know where it can lead
0: exactly